Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, I'm Johnny Owen, and this is the Best 11 podcast from TalkSport. Mark Webster and I ask our guests 11 questions all about their love of football, from their earliest memories of the game to how their matchday rituals have changed over the years. And at the end, they'll tell us their best 11, a team made up of anyone who's ever played for their club along with a manager of their choice. Will they go for players they've seen in the flesh or will they rely on reputation? Let's find out. Our guest today is a brilliant presenter, comedian and writer. He's well known to us as a reporter on Match of the Day and now writes for shows like Nevermind the Buzzcocks and A League of Their Own. It is, of course, the brilliant Kevin Day. Kevin, welcome to your best 11. Can you start by telling us who you support and why? Well, Johnny, my team is Crystal Palace. Uh, and the answer to the second question is sheer dumb luck, basically. Uh, <laughs> at, the age, at the age of five, my first day at primary school, I, I was sat next to a boy who was so much taller than me, I thought I'd been put in the wrong class. So I started crying. Uh, and he put his arm around my shoulder and consoled me. And he had a jumper that his mum had knitted him. A claret and blue jumper, palace jumper. Uh, and ever since then, we've been uh, close mates. He's still my, my best friend. And I Mark Webster is my best showbiz friend. But <laughs> this boy, Stephen, is my best friend still. And, and we're now taking our own children to football. And that's why I became a Palace fan. I have to say that he denies every single detail of, of that he story. <laughs> he, he says none of it. First of all, he says his mum couldn't even knit, let alone knit, knit him a jumper in palace colours. Secondly, as he said... When was the last time I put my arm around you? I went well when you were five, presumably. Because <laughs> so, but um, that's that's the story in my head. And it's like a lot of as as you both know, when we go through this, a lot of the um the problem with doing things like this is a lot a lot of the stories that you think are absolutely one hundred percent true, when you start thinking about them or asking mates about them, they turn out maybe not to be so, but. They they have to be true. In my head, that's the story of how I became a Palace you, you fan. You had to settle at some point, don't you, yes. on you, what may or may not resemble the truth or fantasy. There's you, a there's well, a great you, bit in the uh, in the Beatles anthologies where, and I think they were going to end it with it, but they didn't in the end. But they th- they thought it would be a great end of the series. I wish they had. Where they all they have the, the three surviving Beatles as it was then, and Paul Martin all talk about the morning they recorded Strawberry Fields, and they were all yeah. adamant it happened in different ways, and absolutely <laughs> adamant. And that's just human nature, isn't it? That you just the story in your head becomes your story doesn't it well of, well of course it doesn't if you don't create your own story johnny you're left with well, i don't know it's, i've got no idea because the, and that's as you say human nature doesn't want you to go oh, i don't know you want you want them and it, i found that talking to, to mates of mine recently about 
about various anecdotes and that every single one of them are different. And you go, but we've talked about this for the last 20 years. Why, <laughs> why did you not mention, why did you not mention before that this was a totally different, there's like, there's one story we were talking about a story, a mate of mine, uh, Chirpy, uh, which is one of those, you know, a lot of football nicknames bear no resemblance to, they just, but Chirpy's called Chirpy because he's very chirpy, but he was always late. And he was once 24 hours late to take us to an away game. <laughs> Uh, but but still but he still turned up even though he's 24 hours late and we won but we won yeah but worse than that we won six nil at reading but we missed it because we were still waiting for chirpy but i, I mentioned the story and they and then the seven chats i was chatting with on zoom all had a different reason for why we'd missed that game and it's like they're all wrong my my stories but it's yeah, like, of course that's true of course it's that's just true. like you talk it's like when you talk to west brom fans about why they're called the baggies and they all come up with different stories all of which are rubbish but that you, once you've settled on your story and that's and that's my story my story is and i'm i'm there must be elements of truth to it because you can't as a five-year-old you can't instill fate so that's my story and i'm i like it I'm fair, but, it, but it was certainly through steve and his family that i i started going to the palace anyway so that's i'm definitely sticking to that and i should this is probably an ideal opportunity to put this in context of your book who are you 92 football clubs and why you shouldn't support them, which, of course, is Kevin Day's own approach to every other football team <laughs> in the league. But you must have encountered, because obviously you 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 know exhaustively spent time talking to people from all the football clubs, which meant that you no doubt encountered a, a bunch of Disney-based fantasy stories that everyone thought were dead true. Yeah, no, I exhaustively spent time talking to people from Crystal Palace Football Club. I, I <laughs> casually spent some time talking to fans of other clubs, basically, and looking at their website. Yeah, but all, but I think that's one of the beauties of of football that you do create your own stories in your own bits. And it's like talking about things in the book for the for the Palace chaps because I wanted to call it ninety one football clubs and why you shouldn't support them. But Bloomsbury said that that might make it seem like a Palace book, so they had to make me be grown up and and include Palace in the in the ninety two. Oh, sorry to hear that. But there were but, but there were games well tell me about it. they got very mature. Uh, the the Brighton chapter, my original idea for the Brighton chapter was it would just be a, a photograph of a seagull a seagull stealing a chip from a toddler. <laughs> They said that was. They Pure said that symbolism. was immature. Yeah, and then they, when I wrote a proper Brighton chapter and I spelt Brighton with a lowercase b all the way through, they said that was immature as well. <laughs> it, it, it turns out there's a lot of independent bookshops in Brighton. But I, I was talking to, I was talking to my mates, and these these have been my mates for for twenty, thirty, forty. In Steve's case, fifty years. And you talk about a particular game, and they'd all go, "We weren't at that game." You go, "What? What?" I, I, at one stage, I accused them of gaslighting me because I thought they were just coming up with force. But it's, <laughs> but that's the beauty of football, and, and it's, it's you just accept that other people have got different memories of, of what you have. That's why you can have conversations like this about best goal, best kit, yeah. best best game because it's it's a, and the, and the fact is as well that nobody ever write things down about football. It's like this, you know, I played for a Sunday football team which was the same bunch of blokes, but it was seven different teams, essentially, because yeah. you, know, you move to a different pub and change the name of the team and change the kit. And none of us can, can even agree on that story. And that was only 20 years ago, because you don't write things down. Why would you write things down? So it's, that's the, it's the same as gigs. You'll talk about going to see somebody, uh, a, a band, and they'll, they'll disagree with what set list they did that yeah, night. Yeah, what songs they played. And... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so which, which is great. I had a mate of mine. He said something brilliant once. He said uh, it's a bit like that uh, thing we you know the school holiday where you you 
you get off with a girl. Who is she? Oh, she's from a different school. I remember him saying to me, he used to blame his, his uncle who had died to take him to the match. I was at that game and he goes, yeah, oh, my uncle took me. Oh, he's passed away now. So, of course, all the evidence is gone <laughs> exactly. that he was ever at that game. Do you know what I mean? It's a really clever way of doing it. Well, absolutely. Well, it's funny enough, there's some uncle stories coming up when the, when the next question <laughs> look at us. Well, the irony of this, uh, after this uh, start, is the next question in my best yes. name is, Tell us about your earliest memories of football. Yeah, with your uncle. Well, do you know, funny enough, I, I have got a very strong memory of playing football in the street. So this would have been 1969. I was playing football in the street when my dad shouted out the window that Palace had been promoted to Division 1. So I would have been seven or eight at the time. So, so I remember being quite impressed, but not impressed enough to stop playing football in the street. But <laughs> I think I think like a lot of people of our generation, Mark, our sort of real early memories are the stuff around football, the miscellaneous football. It's like the cardboard league tables from yes. from Shoot oh, and Esso Garage. Yeah, uh, well, know. also Esso Garage World Cup tokens, which is odd because we didn't have a car. So I don't know how we got. You did good. And, and also my my really my real early memory of football is endless. Endless summer months when there are only Australian teams on the pools coupon, and it's one of the reasons I hate summer now because I just remember as a kid going, "There's nothing. There literally, is nothing to do except wait for football to come back during the summer." I remember you know, that pools token. Uh, Victoria yeah. is the team that jumps out at me for no reason at all, yeah. and I just remember my dad letting me fill that one in. And mm. I would just do it in a sort of symmetrical pattern, you know. I'd, I'd make the X's look nice as they went down, the, went down the yeah. scores. Because I mean, that was as good a piece of science as any, wasn't it? It was making a pretty. You had more, probably had more chance of winning. Doing yeah, that. exactly. Well, of course. I mean, also, I mean, younger people won't have a clue what we're talking about. But I remember my dad going, "What do you reckon, son? Woolagong versus West Melbourne." <laughs> I don't know. Woolagon sound like a good home <laughs> But the pools are such a big part of football history. I always remember, you know, when yeah. Liverpool used to win everything, and then every so often, and Everton were a big team as well. And I can remember some, my father again saying, I'm like, well, why were they so good? And he, and he remembers me, they're owned by the people who own the pools. Yeah. And I was a bit like, oh, oh well, of course they win everything. They must be so rich then, you know? Absolutely. Quality conspiracy theory. Yeah. I like yeah. it. It's a proper conspiracy theory. That never occurred to me. Well, also the pools as well. That's. That's how you got the fixtures. Yeah, basically. yeah. You, you knew who was playing who next week because the pools were coming. That is a great conspiracy theory. I'm taking that one away from. <laughs> exactly. You've got to take all your I'm comedy growing on... up watching Cardiff and Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm straight on WhatsApp after this. You know, that, John, you know Johnny Owen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good-looking young actor. Yeah. He reckons. <laughs> Liverpool have bought the title for two generations. <laughs> yeah, 18 times or 19 times now, isn't it? Do you remember the first Palace game or any game you went to? Well, I know, I know for a fact that the first game, you know, again, family traditions have, uh, don't bear much scrutiny, but I know the very first game I went to was actually a Wimbledon game. And my Uncle Bill took me, and he's my, he's my proper Uncle Bill. Uncle Bill was a, a spiritualist minister who my dad got on very well with, but he argued all the time. And Uncle Bill wasn't normally trusted with me because he had a habit of disappearing into a betting shop because Charles Dickens <laughs> had given him a tip. But it, uh, <laughs> But I, I know Bill took me to see Wimbledon play, and apparently I came home at the age of four singing, one, two, one, two, three, bollocks to the referee. And, that, <laughs> uh, and, and, and the story is that my mum was so shocked about that, that Uncle Bill was never allowed to take me again. But that makes no sense, because my mum swore like a docker's parrot. She, she swore, I mean, Mark, Mark knew my mum, she swore in English yeah. and Irish. So she wouldn't have been shocked. I suspect that what happened is that Uncle Bill asked my dad for the ticket money, and he was never allowed to take me again. It's basically but the the first Palace game is still the subject to some. My dad reckons he took me to the very first game in 1969 against Man United, but I've got no recollection of that. Then I had another uncle Bill, who was the greengrocer. Uh, 
why he was Uncle Bill as well, I don't know. And he claimed he took me to a couple of games, but what the circumstances were of the of, of the Greengrass attack. The, so the, the first proper Palace game I have a real memory of was against Stoke in 1973. I'd, I'd been to, I'd obviously been to Palace games when I was six or seven, but the one I, but again, the false memory syndrome, because I've got this memory in my head of, it was February 1973, and I've got this memory of coming up the, the White Horse there and seeing the pitch and thinking, oh my God, the pitch is so green because we had black and white telly. But of course, the pitch couldn't have been green. Been the mud. Pitches were, <laughs> yeah. would have been muddy. Pitches couldn't. So again, but in my head, yeah. I can remember the, the the smoke and I can remember the noise and I can remember the green of the pitch. And that's that's you know, that's a memory I'm not going to be contradicted about. That's a very important memory. But again, it's the theme of this thing. You settle on an idea in your head, and that's what it stays. But I do I do have vague memories of that Wimbledon game because I I still wake up in a cold sweat thinking. If I'd enjoyed that more, I'd, I'd be a Wimbledon fan now, and I wouldn't be half as. Wow! Yes. You know, that's, wow! Small, and I, I've got a feeling. I don't know why, because of course it was Southern League. I've got a feeling it was Wimbledon against Bath, but I don't know why I would, I would think that. Maybe it's because I've got a Wimbledon versus Bath program from 1965 in the attic somewhere. Possibly, I don't know. That's like your Dorian Gray program. That is, you could if that comes yeah. out of the attic, you spent all your life as a Wimbledon fan and are really, really old. I know, God bless her. Ali, Ali spent a lot of Christmas going, because like a lot of freelance people, money's been difficult in the, the past nine months. But I've got boxes and boxes of, of programmes hidden away in the garage, and Ali, Ali decided over Christmas that would be her project. She was going to put them all together and label, bundle them up and get in touch with programme collectors. Nothing. <laughs> saying, Ali, you, might as well, you might as well throw them away. There's not a whole season in there. There's loads of miscellaneous programs. Too arbitrary. Going, no, no, we'll we'll make money out of this. One of one of them's got. I was going to look, Ali, Palace against Forest, 1997. Ain't going to be worth anything. It's oh, not, I remember it the, well. It's not worth the paper it's printed on, but but yeah, but it's um, yeah. So that, that's in my head. That's definitely the first Palace game we went to against Stoke in '73. I think. I know various lodges. We had for some reason we only had a small flat, but we had lodges. I never got to the bottom of that, but. They claim to have taken me. Well, you know what it's like in those days. You just went to football with random adults. Yeah. Basically, it's just an arbitrary. Whoever took you just looked up and you were holding a different person's hand in those days. That's <laughs> that's, that's, I always say because, you know, my dad was Arsenal and had no interest in taking small children to football and ruining his footballing experience. So, hence, my mum being West Ham. And I can distinctly remember being taken by arbitrary young blokes who worked with him. Do so you know the song, yeah. uh, My Old Man Said Be uh, That song was invented around Mark's life. It became a football <laughs> chant because of that. <laughs> he is the living example of My Old Man Said Be an Arsenal. And his mother said, F off <laughs> B Morrissey. <laughs> well, my old, my, my, Mark knows my dad uh, quite well. My dad had Ken no the Teddy Boy. Yeah, he, but he had no interest in football until yeah. I, I was really a pal. He, he, I know he watched. He, he said he he claims that he and I watched the World Cup final together. When I was, I don't have any memory of that whatsoever. But um, uh, he he wasn't particularly interested in football until I started being interested in football. And he thought he, he should do the dad thing and take me to games. But I I certainly don't remember. I, I remember the last game he went to because we t- we turned up to start of one season. 
and it was a fiver to get in, and he went, "I'm not paying five quid to watch football." And that was it. <laughs> he turned around. Turned, he turned, yeah, and the only the only time he broke that rule was when I got him a, a, into a box for a couple of games. He, he wouldn't. He was perfectly happy in an executive box, but he wasn't going to pay five oh, quid to actually. That's a college. terrible attitude. My, that my is, old man it? was my old man was the great um, sort of the, the TV convert. I mean, I remember just like, yeah. long before he like, died, bless him. I was like, "Do you want me to get you a season ticket for Merthyr Dad?" Because he used to put Merthyr as a kid. He went, "No," I, and, and he'd, he'd completely gone with Sky and BT and all yes. that. Do you know, what I mean? he was like, "Why?" <laughs> When I go to a game and I can watch it in the warm, he'd obviously been in the 40s and 50s in blizzards and all sorts. Do you know what I mean? He was like, no, 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 I'll watch it. And, he, and the fact the Bundesliga was on German football, fantastic. He'd done the hard like, yards, didn't yeah. he? he? So didn't you don't want Merthyr anymore, Dad. No, no, I got Bayern Munich. I was like, ah, oh, fair enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, so, also, as well, because people say, ah, oh, non league football, you, you changed ends at half time. And why would you do that if you were a comfy chair? You know, yeah. you know change a chair at half time. Yeah, no, yeah. you've got a choice between watching Merthyr and watching the Bundesliga. It's, it's, yeah. I know, exactly. Tough yeah, one, I, I'd, I'd lost yeah, him. Was my, my, my dad now, God bless him, he's, he's in his mid 80s and he, he still says the same after every because I, I phone him up after. And, and it, it, the first thing he'll always say, whatever, I'll tell him this guy, he'd say, oh, Palace just can't score goals, can they? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we, Dad, we, we just beat West Brom 5 1. I went, yeah, they can't score goals, can they? That's the thing. No, Dad, we just scored <laughs> five. Yeah, they won't, they won't score any next week. <laughs> you know, is there, isn't it though, the go to thing for all football fans? Every generation will go, we just lack the cutting edge. Yeah. I, I even <laughs> seen a Leeds fan say it. I mean, they're scoring goals is fun, yeah, but we're not putting the chances away. You're like, yeah. everybody, yeah. you can win 4 0. Some people will always go, should have been 6 or 7. Because so, strike. Yeah. Because by the we, definition, we need, we'll always miss eighty percent of the chances. We need twenty goals a season, centre forward. Yeah, yeah, that's the other classic. Yeah. <laughs> you need a commanding centre half who's just going to kick it, edit, and tackle. Doesn't need mm. to do that. Bring it out nonsense. You need a traditional centre half. All right, mate. Rosehead. Rosehead. Well, my my dad's got love Palace uh, Palace fans, I think, as it's an indication of how patient Palace fans are, that Benteke is still a really popular player against Palace, uh, for Palace fans because he tries. Yeah. And my, my dad's plaintive plea, after every, I'll tell him what happened. It's like I was, yesterday I said, Dad, you know, you know, we said we would 100% lose to Sheffield United because they hadn't won. Well, we didn't. And his, and his first thing he says, did Benteke score? I said, no, he didn't. I'm afraid he didn't, Dad. And the older he gets, it's more like, for the love of God, Benteke, can he score a hat-trick? Just because he hasn't got many seasons left in him. Just do something so the old man's got a memory of Benteke before he, he goes. I've got to say, that's a perfectly reasonable tattoo, is did Benteke score. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, you, you could wear that with pride, I'm sure. Sorry, I've just got this terrible image that we'd all be gathered around his deathbed in, a, in 10 years' time, and his last thing he would say was, I don't suppose Benteke scored, did he? <laughs> oh, yeah, he did, he got that trick. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was going to say, who was your favourite player as a kid, Gav? I, I loved, the, the, the practical side of me loved John Jackson. Yeah, uh, it was our goalkeeper. Yeah. He, he he's singled. come up a lot. He's come up a lot on these on these shows. Well, for Orient, he was very yeah, popular Orient, as well. Yeah, well, well, there, see, there, there was there was a time when it was a bit of a cliche that, that Palace, the old Palace players left Palace and went to Orient. But John Jack, it broke my heart. John Jackson, that he never played for England because he was the keeper when basically it was Clements and Shilton were were the, mm. you know went from Banks to Clements to Shilton, and Jackson overlapped with them and never played for England. But my real favourite player. As a kid, was Don Rogers, who oh, yeah. was just, I, I, I loved him. I mean, he just, he, he didn't look like a foot. He had shaggy black hair, big Mexican moustache, proper, as we were just, proper old fashioned winger. He didn't have any tricks. He just knocked it past them and ran. And I, I had the pleasure of meeting him recently. And he's, it's, it's just wonderful because he's got shaggy white hair now yeah. and a big shaggy white moustache. Brilliant. Uh, and all but the nicest man, but. And I, as he started speaking, I started. I just started smiling, and he went, 
everybody smiles when I talk to them. I don't understand why that is. <laughs> he's, he's just got this broad Swindon accent, which is just, it's just, been, and I just went, well done, it's because everyone's got such happy memories. Of his so, <laughs> it's, like, it's, proper, it's a proper cartoon West Country accent, but he was, and he scored the two goals against, against Man United. It's just like, he was, and he was a sort of player we didn't have because we, we had, we were, we've always been a very, it makes me laugh now in Palace, fans talk about the Palace way. There's never been a Palace way. We, with wingers, we've always had a lot of wingers, but we were always a functional team. And, and hanging on by the skin of our teeth was basically the Palace way. But Don Rogers was a sort of glamorous player that you'd never expect to see at, at Palace. And I have to say as well, just because I don't want Ian Wright to sulk, that as I got older, Ian Wright became my favourite player. Because I don't know how he does it. He finds these things out. And if, you don't say, if you don't say Ian Wright was your favourite player, he gets upset. And then if you do say Ian Wright was your favourite player, you get a text from Mark Bright going, I was a really good player as well, you know. So well, your just, best 11 going to be very interesting in yeah. the not-too-distant future then, I must say. You've got I'll, some I'll just say, if politics. Mark Bright turn off now. <laughs> Oops, ouch, that's forthcoming. But what we need to deal with now, though, Kevin, and, and this is kind of flip side of the same coin, as we always say, your match day rituals then compared to your matchday rituals now? Let's see how different they are. I'm not entirely sure eight-year-olds are allowed matchday rituals, are they? I don't I don't recall having any matchday rituals. Is there? It, you're in the hands of whatever random adult was True. taking you. I, I, I don't imagine that I could say to Bill the Greengrocer we had to retrace our steps because I hadn't had my lucky fab. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you, you, you found out who was taking you on Saturday morning. You sat in the back of that car. You, you got bundled out of it. You got bundled into the ground. You got bundled home again. That was it. But I don't recall. I, I suppose there are kids who, who have to have the same burger at half time or, or whatever. But I mean, Mark, I, I noticed the tone of it because you know my match day rituals now is literally how long have you got? I mean, I'm basically. Uh, well, I know where it have, begins. Well, it, well, it begins in it begins in the porter's arm, which yes. always have to be in the porter's arms three hours before kickoff, uh, even if it's a twelve thirty kickoff. So uh, <laughs> knocking the door. Hello. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always it's a it's a text it, it's a text the night before basically. You are still you'll be open at nine thirty. <laughs> yeah, sure. Mark knows the pub. It's a tiny pub. You couldn't get a smaller pub. But it's got a lot of doors. Mm. So the, it's it's always the back door that's open at nine thirty in the morning. With the, and there's always that bit at eleven thirty when she opens the curtains because it's officially open. Uh, and it's always the same table out the back. You go in the front right door. And you go out the front left door and you always, always turn left out the railway tunnel, which we call the bunny hole. And we will make people go back and turn left out of it if they've turned right out of it by mistake. <laughs> but, that, and, but the bizarre thing about that is that even in seasons when, when like Sheffield United, you've got 10 points in March and you know you're going down, you still have to go in the lucky door and out the lucky door because otherwise, clearly someone's not doing it right, which is why we're getting relegated. I, my, I've always had this theory that... If you could isolate, there's one person at each club is the one responsible. So if you could find out who it is and make sure that their pre-match ritual is is followed to the letter and you make sure that they don't step on any cracks in the pavement, then you'll win the Premier League. That's obviously something that Liverpool have sussed out, apart yeah. from running the pool system in the 1960s. <laughs> but it's, I, I just find it astonishing. There was one, there was one period, we were 2-0 down at home. I can't remember who we were playing, but we were 2-0 down at home. One of my mates, for some reason, had a big bag of opal fruits. And, but he offered us all an opal fruit. And a, and we had opal fruits and we scored. And then he said, right, jokingly, we'll try that again. And we had another opal fruit and we and we scored and we ended up drawing two all. So, of course, for three games, it was lucky opal fruits. 
we, we won the next three games because of the lucky opal fruits until we lost 4-0 at home and then the opal fruits got scattered far and wide over the Homestale Terrace. But it, it astonishes me. Mark knows this. I'm an intelligent grown-up man. But when it comes to football, you'll just... It, every, every bit of superstitious help you can get. Nice. Ali, I've got a fake moose's head in my hall just, just because... I never get tired of saying he must have been going at some speed when he hit that wall. Right? Of course. I still think it's the funniest joke in the English language. But it's got a palace scarf around it. And I came home recently on a day of a game and Ali had taken the palace scarf down so she could dust the moose. I was like, what are you doing? What? What? I, like, literally, I was pointing like the, the monkey in the Chris's cupboard in Family Guy. It's like, put that, put that, you've got five minutes to go before kickoff. Put that scarf back up. And by the way, and, re- and replace that dust. <laughs> That's, that's lucky dust, that is. I've been putting that <laughs> dust up there. <laughs> yeah, and the, the the sad irony of it was that we lost uh, 2-0 at home to Newcastle. So, of course, my, my Ali's been doing a lot of dusting since then. Theory out the window. Yeah, I, 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 I had a mate once, Cardiff City scored a goal, and, and just before Lee, he smashed his leg against the chair in front, you know, the seat, and, and, oh, and City scored. I was like, ah, we all jumping around. And he was like, oh, hopping, sort of grabbing his leg. We were laughing. And and I, I'll never forget, they kicked off the other team, and Cardiff scored immediately again. And so he kicked the back of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> As if in some way that had made us score. Like, do you know what I mean? It was hilarious. Oh, but my God. Yeah, Superstitious football we fans. Believe, but we believe that, Johnny. And the thing yeah. is as well, your, your club suffered more than most with that when your new owner came in. And decided that he was going to change the kit because oh. he, because of his own uh, superstitions from his part of the world, red is no. a lucky colour. But without ever occurring to him that football fans are just going to what you can't do that. You might as well say it, it's like somebody taking over at Palace and saying, right, we're we're closing the bunny hole. It's like you can't do that. No, you you have to respect the, those superstitions and those traditions because all all football fans. I mean, I've got one mate who's really really annoying. Because he just kept saying, he thinks it's arrogant to be superstitious because he thinks, do you genuinely think that it's down to what you do that makes Palace win or lose? And you go, well, if you put it like that, then no. But if it makes me happier turning left out of the bunny hole, and he's the sort who will deliberately turn right. Just <gasps> he goes, that's why you're losing, Contrary. <laughs> of course, that's what he's yeah, But he's a, you know, he's a lot, and it's just like, it is contrary. It's like, why do that? Why, to, why risk it? Why, why not just turn left like everybody else is doing? And and you know the universe will hopefully reward you with that sometime in the future. But in it the is long, strange long you, in the long, long time. But it is all it's it is well, it's like Mark. It's like you and your, your boys and you with with the new stadium. When when I was there for that FA Cup game, uh, when you lost to West Brom, didn't you? Yes, we did we lose to West Brom, Kevin. Thanks for mentioning. Yeah. When your but but your boys were being so romantic about the old days and about how they, they, had, they hadn't had time to get new superstitions yet in this terrible new stadium. And you and you were going, this, this is great, this stadium, I love it. I've moved this on. Is, I've and, moved on still, and as you said, as soon as we start winning things, well, they'll start loving the stadium. But until then, your boys are obviously uh, much younger than you. I don't know how that works, but of course your children are younger than you, Mark. But, do, you um, remember, do you remember when they... Um, I remember Mark most of very them. funny. When they left Upton Park, it was obviously because the the, the, the cliche of the West Ham Mafia, which is the idea of folks out there that, that, that every journalist who runs football is, is a West Ham fan, which is kind of true. But anyway, it's, uh, <laughs> so there was this idea, and obviously there was like black cabs leaving and a light show and all the rest of it. And then I said this great thing to Mark. I went, it is amazing. I'm like, how many titles have you won there? And he went, well, we've never won it. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So this bastion of invincibility doesn't really exist. It, it, it does never it? Nah. really stood up in the wash. But it's the, that's the that's the principle, of course. Is that you know that they're all banging on about the fact that you know we've now lost that fortress Upton Park thing. At which point I'd say, 
I'll give you the Upton Park part of that sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the falter is yeah. bit. Ninian Park the same. People go, oh, we've left, we've lost the advantage of Ninian Park. I was like, we lost all the time. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, that, I, I think you like romantic. The romantic sort of idea you now of your home ground being a fortress. If you're in Liverpool, I get it, but other clubs, yeah, not yeah, so. Yeah, it's true. It's well, true. I think it's more, a, it's more a defensive, protective, almost working class thing. Is is in the same way that my dad always talks about. It was the poorest people in the street who who had the cleanest house because that was the the one bit of pride. And it's the same with Sellers Park. It's like I'd I'd be devastated. I don't particularly want to move. I'm not even that happy about having a new stand with hospitality in it. And 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 yet <laughs> I, I spend most of my time moaning about how terrible my seat is in the in the half away and how you have to queue for 20 minutes to get a drink. But if you offered me new facilities, I'm not entirely sure I want <laughs> them. So true, <laughs> if you give me if you give me a lovely new concourse where the beer is brought to my table, I'll be going, I don't like this. I yeah. want to go back to the old days. Yeah, just just stood there sort of like spinning slowly in the circle, not quite knowing what to do with yourself. I think this is my point with social media. All social media's done for football clubs is those 50 or 100 fans who just used to go to the pub and have a moan, they can moan now on social yeah. media. So you'll Still, I remember somebody saying, "Look at this," and there was a Liverpool fan saying, "Klopp needs to go." I think they they just after they lost that freak game to Aston Villa, yeah, you know? Villa and you yeah. just go, "He's won you the title, he's won you the European Cup," and you still. I mean, I think what happens is, is my theory, football becomes the thing that they can rebel against. So they're either miserable in the house or in their job, so football becomes a bit of the cat to kick, doesn't it? Yeah, their team. Yeah, I do. But you know what's interesting, Johnny, as well. On a similar note, what I find, and it was really illustrated by that West Ham visit I had with with Mark which was in a nice executive part of the ground. But it's the same. Every ground you go to, and I've, you know, I've done a lot of filming in, in Premier League football grounds, the, the, the posher the part of the ground you're in, the more likely you are to see old photographs of working-class footballers. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like in, that, in that West Ham lounge we were in, it was all pictures of the old Thames Ironworks players. They're selling like, your nostalgia back at you, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. So while you're sitting there having a three-course meal brought to you by waitresses, you're looking at a picture of Albert Stubbins, who lost his left hand <laughs> in the, the war. soldering act. In, in the, the war, war. It's strange because clubs, they, they, they pay lip service to their working-class roots sometimes, and it's it's odd that they often do it in the most posh parts of the ground. That's yeah. a very good point, actually. Have you got a, a favourite piece of memorabilia or memento talking about things like that? I've got I've got a signed Julian Speroni glove, but there aren't many Palace fans who haven't got a signed Julian Speroni glove. <laughs> to be honest, Julian, Julian was very free with his time. Legendary his goalkeeper, that man. Uh, well, well, what we'll, a we'll stopper! I, I do have. Um, <laughs> I've got a little tiger glove puppet called Pardew that uh, nice. followed the nine the nineteen ninety FA Cup run when we got to the final. Yes. Uh, I, I can't quite remember the circumstances. It's like we're all in our mid twenties, but there's some, obviously for some reason, I acquired this glove puppet, and and uh, Steve's mum knitted me a little scarf for it, which means he's a liar because he told me she's she a couldn't... knitter. Clear, there <laughs> yeah, are a, yeah. evidence. So she she knitted me this little red and blue scarf. So I used to take Pardew the Tiger to to games. The after the FA Cup final replay, he got thrown a long, long way. But as we were leaving Wembley, I thought that's not fair. So I went back and retrieved him. So he he's still sitting around somewhere. But I've got a little Palace Garden gnome that I'm quite fond of. But I, I get a bit... It, it's all for somebody who's really superstitious about routine. I've never been particularly nostalgic about objects. Right. If you see what I mean, I've, I've, I've got... 
old palace shirts, but I don't keep them because I love. I just keep them as I can't be. I'm a bloke. I, it, it takes a, a cataclysmic event for me to clean out drawers and Quite and right. cupboards. Basically, you, you never know when it will come in handy for some reason. You know, you might play a five-a-side game again where you need to get your old yellow palace away kit. So, I mean, part of the Tiger is my favourite bit of memorabilia. I'm I'm a bit cross because two mates of mine, despite the fact they're in their uh, one's in his mid fifties, one is in his early sixties. Got Lego Sellers Park kits for for Christmas. Oh, second Char- childhood. There's arrived I already. Would, nice. Wouldn't be able to build it. I'd have to get Ed to do it for me. But I'd, they look really good in the photos. I'd love a Lego Sellers Park just dotted about somewhere in the house. That would be nice. But um, no, I've never, I've never really. It's it's like even match day program. I could never understand that. I I, I used to buy a program and then. I didn't really. It didn't really bother me. I never. I could never quite understand those people who bought two programs: one to write the team changes on, and one one for keeping in the pristine the, in the, one, in, no in folds. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and there are still people. There's an old bloke in in front of us. And it's like you want to say to him, "Mate, you've got a mobile phone. You you get the team changes at two o'clock. Why are you waiting? For, why are you waiting for the PA announcer to tell you who's playing? We we all know. But yeah, it's, it's fine. Old habits die hard." Yeah, makes sense as well. Now, you've got... I'd say you've got a bit of an embarrassment of riches at the moment if you like an attacking footballer, but who's your favourite player now? I, I think it would have to be Wilf. Yeah. Zahar, really. Yes. Just he, he doesn't get the credit he deserves from other fans because they don't see him week in, week out. He's got this reputation as a as going down. He's, I've got... I'm like most football fans. I don't believe that any Palace player dives. I, I think he might maximise his falling potential, but I don't think any Palace player... <laughs> dives and some of the punishment he gets is is incredible when you see him week in week out he's and of course the reason we love him is that he was he was born like 300 yards from the stadium yeah. you know he had a really tough upbringing he's a proper local boy he loves the area and he's he, he's just such a he's such a good player but he's almost like an old 60s cartoon character you have to get him angry i can't remember what cartoon it was but there was a footballer who was an ex-ballet dancer and the only way you would score goals is you had to tread on his toes or or insult his ballet dancing skills, and he would go mad, and and start playing football. It's the same with Wilf. I remember the, the Bournemouth game, the end of season before last, when he just they just battered him and battered him, and finally he got he got kicked once too much and didn't get a free kick, and he just he just you know went on a five minute spell of the best football I've ever seen in my life, and it's like I just. I miss Yannick Balassi. That's when Wilf was really at his best. So when we had Yannick Balassi on the other side, we had two proper out-and-out wingers, and they and they didn't have enough players to mark them both. Basically, they were exciting times. But Wilf's a good player. I still got a slight bee in my bonnet about Gareth Southgate because it was Southgate who mismanaged Wilf when uh, managing the under-19s. I think he said that Wilf was a surly player for England, didn't like his attitude, which is why Wilf ended up playing for the Ivory Coast, which is his the country his, his mum's from. Because I, I think Will should have been an England player, but he's he's my he's my definitely my favourite Palace player. I mean, you, you've got again you've got an embarrassment of riches. You your favourite ever kit? Well, my favourite Palace kit. If if I ever get enough money to own the club, it will simply be because I want to go back to the claret kit with light blue stripes. That's my favourite ever oh. Palace kit. Mainly mainly because it's like the first kit I associate Palace with, and even because we've always you look back to our to our history, uh, 1905 or or even before that, if Steve Parrish's historian is correct. But we've always mucked about with with kits. Our first kit came from Villa because our first secretary manager 
uh, came down from Aston Villa with a set of Aston Villa kits, hopefully, officially, legally, and not hidden in a basket. But but we've we've always had variations of, of, of kits, but we've been through some strange ones. But the claret and light blue striped one is with the yellow collar. It's always always been my favourite Palace kit. My, my favourite other kit, I've, I'm still, there's a Birmingham kit that you might remember from the early 70s. They're away kit, which is basically the flag of West Germany. They had this black, yellow and red away kit striped which was just brilliant. I love Mark knows this I love football kits I, I didn't play Shibuya as a kid mainly because I was an only, an only child and it's quite difficult but uh, I, and the idea <laughs> of flick that's the most fun never... way to play Shibuya is on your own uh, I, I must be flick, honest with but, you but knowing that flick you got a flick to kick it it's just like never yeah, anyway, flick I, it I, and I, move I, on I, I bought Shibuya teams just for the kit yeah and mm. I, I once bought a, a, I spent all my pocket money on a Leeds kit, not because it was all white, not because I like Leeds, because I could paint anything I wanted on it. So <laughs> I, I've, I've always loved kits, but um, I, I do like red and blue. It, it always it's like a mate of mine says, "How many variations of stripes can you can you get through?" Yeah. But well, I think we're on, we're on about since the new owners came in, we're on about our eleventh variation of red and blue stripes. It's just like just have red and blue. Stripes. And do you know what? I reckon if you did a, a, a poll of most football fans. They would say, pick a kit, stick to it for ten years. Don't keep changing it. This is why the you know the it's the retro kits that sell best in uh, Palace, basically. Yeah, Everyone but you, wants. Retro yeah, but you've got to make a new kit for it to become retro, which is unfortunately the way the process works. You know, it's got it's got to be new to be old. This is the best eleven podcast from Talk Sport. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Best 11 podcast with Johnny Owen and Mark Webster. Now, here's an interesting question. It always gets, always gets the juices flowing. Have you got a team that you quite like that aren't yours, Kevin? I, I, officially, no. Yeah, I haven't. Of course. Uh, I, I'd, my favourite ever player 
and I, I, I say this with some hesitation because there are Palace fans who still resent me for it. My favourite ever player is not a Palace player. I've still, I still idolise George Best. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally idolise him, and also for musical reasons. I mean, I, you know, Joy Division, New Order, Buzzcocks, a lot of the Smiths, a lot of the bands that I loved growing up were from Manchester. So I could, I could never hate. Man United as much as other people did, and I, and I couldn't hate a Man United team that had George Best in it. And I, I still, even now, can't. I, yeah, I'm a civilized man. I don't like them. Of course, I don't. I don't want them to win football games. But, but, uh, but George Best was my my absolute idol. And even now, I, I, you know, any new book that comes out, any new documentary, I'll, and I had the pleasure of of meeting him a couple of times and interviewing him once with Rodney Marsh, which uh, the Rodney Marsh part of the interview wasn't a pleasure I have to say because I, I, at one stage I had to say to him Rodney you weren't a better player than George Best and he took the ump about that basically That's but true. Um, George that is true but, so George, yeah, well. but George Best and it's it's not nostalgia as well it's not because he represents a, a different better time because our, you know football was dreadful in those days you know travelling when we were young going to football was not really a pleasant experience compared to what it is now so I would never go back to those days but there was just something about that little five foot seven you know had to, as my mum said had to walk around in the shower to get wet and just the punishment again just the glee he took in in scoring goals it's like that, that in the league cup final i think it was a league cup when chopper harris runs i mean again yeah. that's why i wouldn't want to go back to football in those days when they took pleasure in nicknaming somebody chopper that he, he flies in from about 40 yards to try and basically break George Best's legs and he just skips over him. And right. So, yeah, so so Man United, a, a team, I, I kind of, also Hereford for long, com- complicated reasons, but no, but in, in a sense, I, I, I've, I've always sort of stuck to Bill Shankly's dictum, which is you know, there's only two teams in Liverpool, and that's Liverpool and Liverpool reserves, basically. Yeah. So now we're going to do the uh, your best eleven. Now we give people a choice: club or country. Um, I'd imagine you'd probably go club. I'm, I'm going club. Yes, but you know, it, this is a. There will be people who listen to the Palace podcast that I do who go, well, "Hang on a second, that's almost entirely different to the one you did last season." <laughs> because you are less like most football fans, Johnny. You, if I asked you for your best Cardiff eleven, you'd, you'd probably you'd probably do a different one every day. And the yes. thing is, if you're doing it with mates, you you trot out your best 11 and then your mates mention the player and you go, oh, oh yeah, I forgot him. Yeah, he's oh, yeah. what about he's him, got yeah. to be in. So, and the thing is, with this Palace 11, I'm fully aware that they wouldn't win a game. If this was if this was if this was Palace that started this season, we'd we'd have fewer points than Sheffield United. But <laughs> they're, they're basically, and in goal, I had to think long. But Julian Speroni's in goal because okay. not only was he a brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant goalkeeper, but it just he he's one of those rare people. I, I don't like using the word legend, but for Palace fans, he's a legend because he's he's just the nicest bloke you could meet, Julian. When I as a, and as an indication of this, um, there's a we had this Palace beer festival thing uh, on the, the first Saturday after the season ends, and it's always it's a brilliant get. It's like four thousand people at Palace. It's a beer festival. There's music and all sorts and. Uh, Julian always turns up, and it was the, this one was not long after my mum had died, and I don't know how Julian. And my 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 dad was with me, and I introduced him to Julian Sproni, and my dad went to him, "Are you sure you're a goalkeeper? You're not very tall." Right, it was Julian. <laughs> Julian thought it was very funny, and then but then Julian said, oh, "I'm really sorry to hear about your mum," and spent half an hour talking to my dad about his loss, which was brilliant. Uh. 
And then Julian said to me, I, I, I'm a bit worried. I can't, can, if, if I've got to go, I've got to take my sister to the airport because she's got to be back in, in Buenos Aires. So he said at the end, would you mind giving out the prize for best beer? Because I've got to go. I said, of course not. So come five o'clock and Julian was still there. I said, what happened? He said, I didn't want to disappoint people. So I, I got her a cab. It's like your own sister. You got her a cab to go back to the yeah, Because that's what he's like. He just would never let people down. He's, uh, and he's and also he's a brilliant goalkeeper. And there's 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 a photograph as well of us scoring at, at the Amex. I think we were the first team to beat the Brighton at the at the Amex. And there's a photograph taken from behind our goal with Julian just exploding with joy as the third goal went in. So um, fullbacks. I've gone back to the old days. Uh, right back is a player called Paul Hinchwood, whose nickname was Doris, <laughs> who. Who looks? He he's only in his sixties now, but he looks about ninety-five. Looks like a really fit ninety-five-year-old. But he was um, he, he was. We're short of fullback. I'm struggling for for right backs. I have to say, which is why I've gone back to Paul Hinchwell. But left back is easy. Ashley Cole would be on the list. He played ten games for us on Did both, he? and he was, uh, and he was outstanding. This was a time when we were going out of business the first time, and he him and Mikhail Forsell came in on loan. And Ashley Cole was outstanding. And he's actually, he's, he's a much nicer bloke than people think he is, Ashley Cole. Yeah. And also, arguably, I would say, England's only world-class footballer in the last 20 years. He has made so many best 11s, you won't believe it. In teams that, that he didn't actually play for as well, quite ridiculously. But, but, but is that good? All that, talk, all that talk of the England's golden generation, the Beckhams, the Rio Ferdinands, the Skulls, he was the only he was the only outstanding player, Ashley Cole. He was the only world class player in that team. But uh, even even allowing for that fact, Kenny Sampson would be my yeah, Palace yeah. left back. Legend at your gaff, wasn't he? Yeah, that's true. Well, he, he made his debut at uh, seventeen. He came for uh, uh, our youth process in that legendary team of seventy nine and eighty, where eight of the team were from from South London, and he was. He was a brilliant footballer. He could have played any position on the pitch, but he was brilliant at left back. And it it breaks my heart to see the the personal difficulties that yeah, he's going true, through. Yeah, every, every single Palace fan loves him. You know, it, it didn't help a couple of years ago that Palace thought they were doing the right thing and gave him a job running hospitality in one of the bars on match days, which was like it was a nice thing to do, but for the wrong person. But he was a brilliant footballer. Centre back uh, Jim Cannon, yeah. who's Proper, who's our record appearance? Who's only about five foot seven in my memory? He feels enormous, Jim Cannon. In memory, you're right. Yeah, but he was a proper, he's proper rosehead centre back, and next to him, I'd have Eric Young. Oh yes, I was hoping to have a Welshman in there. I was thinking of a few options: Chris Coleman, Eric Young. Well, Chris Coleman could have been, and that's the thing as well. I could, yeah, we could be here all day. Well, I do. Kit Simons is a really good player for us, yeah. but Eric Young, of course, wasn't wasn't Welsh. He was from Singapore. That's right. And there was, there was this bizarre ruling, which meant uh, because of our ex-colonial past, he could choose any of the four nations to 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 adopt, basically, to play for. So he chose Wales. But and he loved was, it, um, loved in Wales. There was a famous song about him. Do you know what the famous song is? No. Eric Young was born in Ponty. La 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 la. That's what he used to sing. That was his song. Thousands, and they still sing it now well, at the away games. It's hugely well, popular at uh, at Wales Internationals. Well, rightly so. I mean, we called him Eric the Ninja because of his his headband. headband but he was, yeah. But he was such a good centre back. He was a he was a he was the opposite of Rosehead. He was a proper footballing centre back before they were common in English in English football. So midfield, yes. Um, and this is a terrible midfield technically. Mile Jednak in the, in the middle, who's I, I I once said to him, "Can you define 
leadership. He went, no, but I know I've got it. You know, he just, yeah. He's just one of the He's just one. We really miss him in terms of. We have people like him and Damien Delaney in the team, who used to look after Wilf. It's like if Wilf got fouled, you knew that the person who fouled him was going to get fouled back in the right. next couple of minutes. And they first <laughs> they would go to the referee and say, "You're not going to allow that, are you?" And they'd go to Wilf and say, "Don't worry." They're proper, not enforcers, but proper old school physical players that every single team needs if they're going to win football games proper people you know that old expression about in the trenches but next to him i'd have two players that couldn't be further from the trenches if you ask them really Tilio lombardo yeah who lombardo, looked, who looked yes. less like a footballer than anybody became our player manager even though he couldn't speak english and his assistant player manager was thomas brolin who also couldn't speak english which was a strange time <laughs> or the same but, language as lombardo either i expect <laughs> lombardo was arguably the best midfield player I've seen it. Very elegant man on the on the field of play. Yeah. Very elegant. He found himself. God, God knows the circumstances that he found himself living in Thornton Heath playing for Palace. But the one, the other one would be Jerry Murphy, who Mark Webster that is my absolute all time favourite. You do enjoy a bit of Jerry Murphy, don't you? <laughs> I idolised Jerry Murphy in the same way that I idolised George Best, and for the same reason as well. A similar build to George Best. He had his floppy fringe. Always wore his socks down. One game out of three, Jerry would deign to play football. The rest of the time, he's just like he wasn't going to get dirty. Simple as that. He would stroll around the the centre circle occasionally doing things. But my 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 best memory, and I've had this memory confirmed by many people, and also on so we were we were away at Stoke, and it was a horrible horrible days. One of those days, that the, the rain was coming out. Stoke, Stoke. But we were we were one nil down, and it was it was the first season that they were using numbers to indicate substitutes. And uh, I can't remember who our assistant manager, Venables was the manager, but whoever it was, our coach stood up and held up the number ten, which, and and Jerry Murphy looked at the number, clocked it, and as the ball came to him, he put his left foot on it and he chipped the keeper with his right foot, uh, and he turned to the Palace fans and lifted his arm up and just walked off. And shook hands with the substitute as he came on, which was just, just brilliant. Up up front, I've got to go in right up front just yeah. to stop himself, obviously, but also because he's the best striker we've ever had. Simple as that, and he's a he's a brilliant story. He didn't come to us till he was twenty three. We got him from Greenwich Borough. Amazing, so, amazing story. And what what is it, 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 it? Jamie Vardy reminds me of of Ian Wright because yeah. you, he did things that you you weren't meant to do because mm. they were never coached out of him. It's like you know he he would he would get the ball on the halfway line and attempt a volley because no one had ever said to him you can't do that in professional football. <laughs> and but, and I, but I would acknowledge as as Wrighty does that Mark Bright made a huge difference in, in Wrighty's career. But also, I think alongside Ian Wright, yeah, I mean there's lots of people: Brighty, Peter Taylor, Swindlers, but Vince Lair and Wilf Sahar for me. Oh, I, Vince Lair! Wow, yes. Forgot about Vince. Yeah, too right. The player. What's the player? So cool as well and. Again, tiny. As football, I don't know what's happened in the last thirty years, but they're all a foot taller than they used to be. But, but Vince and Jerry Murphy and Vince there were best mates, and 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 normally Vince was the the recipient of Jerry Murphy's when he could be asked, and he wanted to play football. It was all, it was normally Vince that he he aimed at, and it started just. Vince was saying, again, you look back at some of the stick he got for being a young black player in those days, and you think, how did you rise above that and play the sort of football you did? But he would, that would be my 11. I'm fully aware it's not a, it's not an 11. Oh, no, it's, right. like it's a team. classic, 
can't, even that's a classic Palace front three, though, yes. isn't it? Because you've got that flair up there, which is the way that, that even Roy Hodgson has adopted that, isn't it? And, and it looks good when it's really on its game. So, fair enough. Talking of Roy Hodgson, yeah. so who would be a manager? Whoa, that's an interesting one. It's um, Well, we can strike Alan Pardew off the list for a start. <laughs> Why? Because of that it, dance. Uh, he went too early, didn't no, I, he? I think he just went too early. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, you just go, mate, the... You've scored. You've won up. It's still a way to go. Don't do a dance yet, you know? Don't do that dance. I mean, if it's a if it's a proper dance, bill. yeah, just uh, yeah for, for that and uh, other reasons, Johnny. Um, <laughs> okay, it, it wouldn't be not tiger uh, puppet related, but other it, it reasons. Would, no, yes, no, it, it it wouldn't be uh, Terry Venables because he was probably the best coach we had, but then was almost instrumental in bankrupting the club mm-hmm. later on, which is uh, something something I've. I've been able to say legally because he he it was his legal demands that nearly bankrupted the club. Roy Hodgson is one of those managers that we will love when he's not our manager anymore. He's still Palace mm-hmm. fans who who won't and he's done a he's done a brilliant job and he's done it in a way that isn't always good to watch. And yeah, the, the fact that Eze came on yesterday to score against Sheffield United rather than starting the game, he's still slightly distrustful. He's he's like a lot of managers of that generation. People like Sam Allardyce and Tony Pulis would freely admit they they won't play kids unless they absolutely have to because they don't think they're ready for the, the mm. for the premier league and the struggles especially now there are no there are no reserve teams my a mate of mine who runs palace tv said roy hodgson on his first day when he he gathered all the players together and he got them to the center circle at, at sellers park and he he gave the players his pep talk about how he's always been a palace fan and about how his dad used to take him on the trolley bus and he used to stand at the homesdale end and it cost sixpence to get in, and all the players were nodding. And then Roy went. One of the young players just went, "What's a trolley bus?" <laughs> and then another one went, "Why is he standing up? It's all seater." And another one said, "What's, another one said, What's sixpence?" <laughs> but no, I mean again. But he's he's uh, it's interesting with Hodgson because the, the the two sets of fans who really hate him are Liverpool and and England fans. So the two biggest jobs he did, he didn't do particularly well. But you talk to West Brom fans about him or or Swiss football fans about him. They love yeah. him and mm. and I think I think I think once he's not our manager, people go, Do you know what you he can, was a really You cannot knock really, his pedigree. I I think that's impossible. So it's yeah. a funny thing I was I went to uh, Millwall the other week with Forrest and uh, obviously behind closed doors and I I got I I got a taxi down from London Bridge and uh, the taxi driver was a Charlton fan. And as every football fan has wanted to do, it got to the point of me going, God, you must miss Kirbishly. And even now he went, well, he played some awful football. And I was yeah. like, do you know what I mean? It's like, he, he cemented you in the top league. But even now there's an idea of some football fans where they just go, it doesn't matter what you do. It's we're just, you know, it, yeah, no. we're not having it because you yeah. don't well, play to, a certain way, you know? Yeah, but to, to, to answer your question, uh, there's only one choice, really. And if there's ever a statue outside Tellers Park, it would be to Steve Koppel, who was our... Ah, yeah. Yeah. And, and again... We didn't play particularly brilliant football in, under Koppel. I mean, he, we got the ball forward to Brighton right as quickly as possible. But he, there's just something about the man as a, as a human being, as a and as a gentleman. But also, when things went went bad for us, he came back three times to to manage us under terrible circumstances and behaved himself with such such dignity and such decorum. He's he's a he's a decent man, and he was our manager, and he gave us our our most successful period and. and we we look back at Steve Cobble with great great affection. It's a little bit of a shame that he went on and managed Brighton for a while, but we, we we've airbrushed that out of the CV. Forgive but him. he we forgive him. But yeah, you know, I also I've still got you know memories of Bert Head, who was the manager when I first started Sporting Palace, who was this 
little bloke from Bath whose theory was that you should pack the team with Scottish players. So we had more Scottish players than anyone else, I think. So, um, which led to the best football headline ever when we had when Jerry Queen was sent off for starting a uh, a brawl. And the headline in the Sunday paper was Queen in Riot at Palace. <laughs> yes! It had to be. Uh, yeah. Well, I tell you what, it's been fantastic to have you on, Kevin. And i got to say as well, just for, as, as, a, as a neutral football fan, everybody remembers that semi-final against Liverpool where obviously fans oh. had lost 9-0. But I have, don't think I've ever been in a pub where every single person was supporting Palace that yeah. day because of, it was just a great story in football, wasn't it? Can I, can I tell you my two memories of that, Johnny? Of course. The, the, the first one is that... And, and this was, younger younger fans won't understand that this was the level of pre-match entertainment, even in those days. It's not that long ago, it's 1990, but there was an, an RAF dog display team competition <laughs> on the pitch beforehand. Naturally. And they... They set up. They set up the burning hoop, and they set up the 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 planks and the ladders. No, and no all problem on the turf with this at all. <laughs> no, and there was there was there was two dogs, and the the PA and the, the the RAF guy had the microphone, and he went, "Okay, first dog uh, has got a red jacket on, so Liverpool fans want you to get behind this dog." And this dog was just brilliant. He went up the he went up the ladder in record time, went across the planks, through the through the burning hoop in about nine seconds, and the the dog with the blue jacket on went up the ladder, fell off the plank. <laughs> So that wasn't the best omen. It's just silence, surly silence in the palace. And there's a, there's, there's the, the palace dog got to his feet and shamefacedly limped off. But then I'm I'm still convinced at the end of that game. And, and his you, owner coming, Wilf, Wilf, come back. <laughs> and if if you watch the end, when when we when we score the first goal with the first equaliser, I've never been in a in a. a in more mayhem for a goal in an away end or not an away end but behind it was just absolute mayhem by the time we scored the fourth goal we were too exhausted to to you, you look at the difference <laughs> but then i i'm convinced that i'm absolutely convinced that the crowd parted just i'm convinced that i was a first palace fan to know that we'd won because i could see the referee lift his heart his arm up to put the whistle to his lips so i started celebrating a split second before before anybody else and I, and I still I've spoken to my wife about this and my son people you know the happiest times of my life I'm, I'm still very happily married I adore my wife and of course I adore my son but the the single happiest moment of my life single happiest moment of my life was just before the referee blew that whistle oh. because it, you just you just remembered all the bad times you just remembered all the away trips all the evening games coming back at four o'clock in the morning from Wrexham when you'd lost you just remembered everything that had bad and you remembered your mates and suddenly everything was was worth it and it's just that split second when we won it was just fantastic and I feel I genuinely feel sorry for people who don't like football because they'll never understand that they'll never share that sense of of joy with tens of thousands of strangers that are united by a common bond and a common set of colours. It's it's a beautiful thing and it's uh, I you know, I get emotional even thinking about it, but that's that was the single happiest moment of my life and it was at the end of a football match, which when you see that written down on paper you think that's a bit strange, isn't it? But when you lived that experience, it's it's amazing. Ah, oh, fantastic. Kevin, I'm sure everybody listening yeah. can associate with that. In, indeed, although, of course, as we know from the start of the conversation, uh, he wasn't actually at that game. <laughs> <laughs> His uncle took him. <laughs> Kevin, it's been fantastic. Thanks so Cheers, much Kevin. for joining us. Cheers, Mark. Love you both. Take care, mate. Bye-bye now. The Best 11 Podcast from Talk Sport. Thank you for listening to The Best 11 Podcast. Don't forget there are new episodes out every Monday and Thursday, so join us for more football memories and another Best 11 very soon. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.